If you have a Bible, please open it to 1 Peter chapter 1. And if you have a church Bible, that should be page 1,217. I'm going to read verse 3, and I'll read down to uh, verse 16. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to, had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls." Concerning the salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as He who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. You may not have heard of uh, a writer called Louis L'Amour, but if you've ever seen a Western film, it was probably based on a book that was written by Louis L'Amour. Now, he was a, a Western writer of novels, but one of the things he did was when he traveled around, and he lived in the 1920s and 30s and 40s, is he would go to small towns and villages through the western part of the United States, and he would look for old men sitting by themselves, and he'd ask for their stories. Because there were people in that time that had living memories of what we think of as the Wild West. And so he was once in a little village, and he sees an old man, and he asks him his stories, and this man begins to tell him that he actually grew up among the Comanche tribe of Native Americans. And he begins to tell him the story of his first war party raid, and it was just like something out of a film. 
You can imagine a stagecoach moving into a canyon that was called the Doubtful Canyon because those who went into it, it was doubtful they were going to come out the other side. The stagecoach is going down when all of a sudden around the rim of the canyon you see these Comanche braves lined up and then there's the fire of a gun. One of the horses is shot. It falls over. The other horse trips over it. The stagecoach flips over. The cowboys, six or seven of them, they all spill out. And what ensues is a three-day standoff. Now, when I think of that story, it reminds me of something of the situation that we face as Christians. There's a difference, but there's a similarity. Let me start with the difference. Those cowboys in that standoff, they ultimately had no hope. They had very little water, no food, and minimal ammunition. And Christians never find themselves in that circumstance. We always have hope because we never find ourselves in a situation that God cannot reach and rescue his people. But how that story does remind me of our circumstances is that if you read Peter, you discover that we live in a dark, in a difficult, in a trying age. That there is a devil who prowls like a lion, seeking whom he can devour. That there are evil lusts within us that war against us. And we've got to ask the question, how do you get through this canyon of life with faith intact? Now, I think for that question, there's a verse in 1 Peter chapter 1 that's exceedingly helpful. And I just want to pull out a part of it, and this is what I want us to think on. Where in verse 13, Peter says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Christ Jesus. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Christ Jesus. What I want to do is I want us to think about that text using a variety of questions. And here's the first one. What does Peter mean when he says, set your hope fully on this grace. It's so important when we read the New Testament that we actively listen. Now, I would imagine most men in this room are like me. We're poor listeners. My wife is a marvelous listener. She'll listen to me for half an hour, droning on on my narcissistic rants. And then she starts talking, and then I cut her off because I'm not listening, and I impose my own thoughts on what she's saying. And it's usually totally unhelpful. And we often do the same thing with the Bible. We insert what we think it means rather than pull out what it actually means. And so we have to begin with that question, what does Peter mean when he says, set your hope fully on this grace that's going to be brought to you at the revelation of Christ Jesus? Well, let's begin with what he does not mean. I would guess that a lot of us, when we hear that phrase, if I were to ask you what Peter is saying, you would probably think something like this. I think Peter means that we ought to be excited about going to heaven one day. Now, that's not what he means. Now, we should be excited about heaven. But the problem is for a lot of Christians, as we think about heaven, it's kind of like if you have a great holiday over the summer that you're excited about. But that excitement doesn't actually change how you live on a Monday or Tuesday as you're parenting your kids or as you're in the workplace. Now, what Peter is saying here, it will turn you inside out if you grasp his meaning. He's not just saying being excited about something way out there. 
Here's something else he does not mean when he says set your hope fully on this grace. He does not mean be optimistic. You might think, okay, I think Peter, I think what he's saying is we shouldn't be pessimists as Christians. We should be optimists. That's not what he means. If you read 1 Peter, you discover that there is a negative forecast for these early Christians, that it's not like there's a few clouds in the sky that will quickly be dispersed and then the sun's going to glow and everything's going to be warm and beautiful. Peter tells them that they're about to be put in a furnace. Their faith is going to be tested like gold. He tells them in chapter 4 that they are going to suffer in their flesh just as Jesus did. He tells them that there is a fiery trial that they are going to face. And so this is not some kind of super, superficial optimism when he speaks of set your hope fully. And so what does he mean? The best way I can put it is to rely on something Martin Luther said long ago. That ultimately as Christians, we ought to live as if there are only two days There is that day, the day when Jesus reappears on this earth in all of his glory and splendor, and there's this day, and what we are called to do as Christians is live this day in the light of that day. Now, where am I getting this from? Look at this verse. What does he mean when he speaks of the revelation of Christ Jesus? Christians. Do you believe that an essential truth of the gospel is that just as Christ ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father, as the Apostles' Creed tells us, from there he will come to judge the living and the dead. That there will be a day when it's not that all of a sudden Comanche braves are on the rim of the canyon, but we will look and we will see the Lord Jesus Christ with the whole throng of his angelic hosts here again as judge. And he won't come with weakness, he'll come with strength. Now that is a fact that we need to believe in, that Jesus Christ will be revealed again in this world. Now, Peter, believing that, preaching that, look at what else he says. He speaks of the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What is this grace? You know, the wonder when Jesus shows up again, on the one hand, it will be to judge sin and set all things right and condemn those who have rebelled against God. But friends, he's also going to be bringing grace to those who are waiting for him. You see a picture of this when you think of the story. Remember Jericho. Remember when the children of Israel, they were marching around Jericho. And very soon the walls were going to fall. And when those walls fell, God's judgment was going to come upon this city. But there was one woman whose name was Rahab. And she was told to put out a red cloth. And she knew that the very army that was bringing judgment to the city, that there was going to be grace for her. And so Peter, he's reminding these Christians, look to that day when the Lord Jesus Christ will be revealed, but believe he's bringing grace for you. And that's why he uses this word hope. Put your hope fully 
In other words, be totally absorbed in what is coming. And when he says, put your hope, again, it's not an optimism. It's not a weak trust. He's saying, align your life, align this day with that day. Last year I was in Scotland and I was listening to the biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And one of the things I hadn't thought enough about when I was listening to this was what it would be like to be a Christian living in Germany during World War II. When the Nazis were in power. When everything around you in terms of your culture and civilization was upside down in the difficulty it would be to not get pressured into conformity. To not just capitulate like others around you. But to believe that actually all of that facade one day would crumble and that there were greater values that would judge this world. How hard would it be to exist from within? And yet that's exactly what Peter is telling us that all Christians are called to do. That in the midst of such a dark world, we're called to put our hope fully, living not according to the values that we see in the world around us, but according to the kingdom that Christ has set up. The kingdom in heaven that will one day be reflected on earth. Now that's what he means by set your hope fully in the grace that will be brought to you. Once we have a sense of the meaning, that leads us to a second question. The second question is this. How does a Christian do this? Do you realize that again and again, the New Testament, including the Lord Jesus himself, calls us to be watchful? How often? Once a week? You know, be alert for an hour a day? All the time. How do you do that? Militaries spend billions of pounds trying to keep their troops having a sense of readiness when there's no battle. It's a hard thing to maintain. How do you maintain this attitude of living each day as if Christ could appear in an alignment with that day? The wonderful thing about Peter is he gives us some wonderful spiritual counsel. Look at what he says in verse 13. In the NIV here, it says, be self-controlled. If you have an ESV, if you have a New King James, it says, be sober-minded. And I like that sense of sobriety. Do you realize that as Christians, we constantly need to sober up? You might be thinking, why? You know, it's like Acts 2. I'm not drunk. It's only 11 o'clock in the morning, right? But you've got to realize that we live in a world where it's as if all of the time we're breathing in intoxicating fumes. It's not alcohol, it's ideas, it's values that you can't walk up and down the streets of Dundee without becoming more secular and not even realizing it. And so Peter, he's calling us not just to be self-controlled, but to sober up, to realize the truth, to grab hold of things like... 60 years ago when Tozer was trying to remind people that, hey, this world, it's not a playground. It's a battlefield. But don't we every day, we step out and think the objective of today is to have fun or to be successful or to maintain fitness? It's not. Peter's saying, be sober-minded. See that day. Live this day for that day. Look at what else he says in verse 13. Prepare your minds for action. Gird up the loins of your mind. Whenever I read this, it reminds me of a wonderful old story that a Greek historian named Xenophon wrote. 
called the Anabasis. And what happened was you had a group of Greek soldiers. They were mercenaries. And they followed a Persian leader all the way into Persia. And this guy was going to try to depose the emperor. Only he gets killed. And so all of a sudden you have 10,000 Greek, troop, Greek troops in the middle of a foreign empire cut off from all supplies, surrounded by the enemy, constantly being attacked, and they're losing their nerve. And all of a sudden, Xenophon, he stands up because he was actually there, and he gives a speech. Let me just read you a bit of this speech. He says, I have noticed, gentlemen, that when men seek for nothing in warfare but survival, they generally are the ones to die, and that with disgrace and shame. But when they recognize that all men must die, for that is their common lot, and strive to die with honor, these generally live to see old age. Learn this lesson for yourself, for now is the time we need it. Be men yourselves and encourage others to do the same. It's that phrase, be men yourselves and encourage others to do the same, that makes me think Peter would say, be Christians and encourage others to act like Christians. Prepare your mind for action. Realize that, yes, we feel harassed. Yes, it's a difficult time. But if you relax, if you despair, you become a casualty. Gird up the loins of your mind. See, this is the moment to be steadfast and persevere and to pursue the things that matter. And what is the call that we get again and again and again in 1 Peter chapter 1? Guys, it's the call to pursue holiness. Verse 14, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. We're no longer in ignorance. Don't conform to those desires that ruled you before. Look at what he says. Verse 15, be holy. Just as the one who calls you is holy. In all your conduct, he says, be holy. Verse 17, he tells us to conduct ourselves with fear. If we call on him as father who judges each man's work impartially. Do you see how he's prodding us? He's pushing us. He's calling us to see the big picture, to realize the moment, and to live for that day when we will see the Lord Jesus Christ in such a way that honors him and reflects his kingdom in the midst of a world that is spiritually upside down. Friends, what does this look like? What does it look like to really invest all your hope in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? Let me just give you an illustration. There's a great story from Spurgeon. Where Spurgeon, remember, he's the greatest preacher of the 19th century. He's got this huge church in London. They launch this idea. They want to build an orphanage for needy children, but they need 20,000 pounds to do it. A huge sum of money for the day. And they get this note from an old woman who says she would like to donate the money. And so Spurgeon takes an elder, and they go to visit this woman, and they get dropped off at a small, modest cottage when they were expecting a grand home. They get brought into a sitting room that is, again, modest in its furnishings. 
And finally, this woman comes out, and Spurgeon greets her and says, we want to say thank you very much for the gift of 200 pounds that you're giving toward this orphanage. And she says, Mr. Spurgeon, someone must have misled you because you've left off a couple of zeros. And with a wry smile, he says, no, but when I saw your house and when I saw your room, I didn't think that you'd have the funds to give that much to us. How did she have that money? Friends, because she wasn't conforming to the standards around her. She was living for that day when Christ would show up. She was wanting to use her money and her talents for his glory. And over many decades, she had amassed a sum of money that was able to build an orphanage for children. Now, that may not be your circumstance, but it's an example of what it looks like when we really grab hold of what Peter is saying to invest our hope fully in the truth that Christ is coming and bringing grace with him. Now that leads us to our third question. Our third question is, why would anyone attempt this? I hope you sometimes ask that question of the Christian life. Because when you read the New Testament, and when you see what the call of discipleship is, you have to ask, if the cost is so high, if the life is so countercultural, what are the motives that would impel me to follow this path? And friends, I'll give you three of them. Here's one motive. Because whether we like it or not, Jesus is coming. It's true. Let me ask you this. If you found out today that there was a huge meteorite that was about to crash into planet Earth in one year, and there was no way of stopping it, would that not radically affect tomorrow and next week and next month and the rest of the year? We know a truth that is far more stupendous far more with far greater implications than some meteorite hitting earth. We know the Lord Jesus Christ is going to show up as judge and set all things right. And if we know that truth and it doesn't affect our choices now, something is wrong. Something is disconnected. Because friends, he will be revealed. Here's another reason, another motive to live in this way. It's because of the grace that the Lord Jesus Christ is bringing with him when he's revealed. We're told in verse 4 of chapter 1 that what he is bringing is an inheritance that is imperishable. It's undefiled and it's unfading. It's imperishable. Have you ever thought about eternal life and really taken it seriously and thought about it's not something that will last a millennium and then begin to decay? But from eon to eon, from age to age, from millennia to millennia, it will continue. It's imperishable. And have you thought that it's undefiled? Its pleasures aren't like the pleasures of this world where you engage and for a moment they're fun, but then you're left with the residue of shame and guilt and frustration and emptiness. They're undefiled. They're pure. They can be enjoyed and relished with absolute satisfaction. 
And friends, I love the last one. They're unfading. This is what we can't imagine. You know, the atheist tells us, well, if eternity is eternal, won't you get bored? And they don't understand the infinite creativity of our God. That for our God, it's if you can imagine a fireworks show where every minute it gets more exciting, the colors get brighter, you get more enthralled in it, and hours into it, it still just escalates from beauty to beauty to glory to glory and on. It's unfading. You'll never grow tired of it. This is what he's bringing. If you see that on the horizon, are you not willing to live differently now to enjoy what's imperishable, undefiled, unfading? But I'll give you one other motive for heeding Peter's counsel. Peter, he tells us, though we have not seen him, we love him. And friends, the reason that we wait as Christians with expectation for Jesus, yes, do we fear God, yes, but equally, we recognize the preciousness of the blood with which we have been purchased. And we love Him. There's a wonderful experiment that an old preacher played on his congregation hundreds of years ago. His name was Augustine. Listen to what he said. He said this, Imagine God coming to you and offering the following bargain. God offers to give you everything you can imagine in this world and the next as well. Nothing shall be impossible to you, and nothing shall be forbidden. There will be no sin, no guilt. Anything you can imagine can be yours. There is only one thing you will have to give up. You will never see my face, says God. Friends, as the Christian reads that, his heart drops like a bowling ball and just goes through the floor and just keeps falling because the thought of heaven without God is no heaven at all. We're not even in it for the extra glamour. More than anything else, we long to see Him. We long to have access to His Father. We wait and we invest our hope fully because though we have not seen Him, We love him. And so where does this lead us? Friends, it leaves us with a very simple application that comes right out of the text of verse 13. Set your hope fully in the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Christ Jesus. Let me just say, if there are any non-Christians in this room, Outside Christ, there is no hope. Outside Christ, when he shows up, all you will experience is the penalty for your own sin, which is the righteous anger of God and his justice. We have every reason to long for someone to place our hope in, and if your hope is not in Christ, there is no hope. Let me speak for just a moment to those who are trying to invest part of their hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Is it not common among Christians that, yes, you want to put some of your hope in Jesus, but then you want to invest some in your career, you know, some in your own life plan, some in your bucket list? And you know what that double-mindedness results in? Anxiety, disappointment, 
in frustration. Friends, if you want to know the fullness of the life that is available in Christ, don't diversify your investments, but set your hope fully in the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ because those who place their hope in him will never be disappointed. That's why Paul was able to write to Timothy, I am not ashamed. I know whom I have believed that he is able to keep until that day what has been entrusted to me. He was able to tell Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. There is now laid up for me a crown of righteousness which he will award to me on that day, but not to me only, but to all those who what? Have loved his appearing. Fix your eyes on the hope that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Live as if there are two days, this day and that day. And whether it's a Sunday or a Monday, make it your chief aim to live this day in a way that conforms to the truth that the Lord Jesus will be revealed. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. If it was left to our own faculties and powers to focus our attention on you and on your coming, then indeed we would be like sheep that constantly lose their way. But we thank you that you've given us your Holy Spirit and that your Holy Spirit has power that exceeds what we would have on our own that he is able to open the eyes of our heart. He is able to captivate our affections. He enables us to search the unsearchable riches of Christ and to purify ourselves of all filth of flesh and of spirit. And so we ask that you would help us as we think on this text, that if nothing else remains, echoing through our mind this week would be these words that your apostle wrote for us to set our minds or set our hope fully on that grace that will be brought at the revelation of Christ Jesus. Write these words upon our heart. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.